I want to read Psalm 23 with you. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, you can turn there. If you've got something on your devices, that's fine too. You can look there. Um, I'm going to read through Psalm 23. and I use the New International Version, uh, which I always say this. There are Bibles back there on the table. Uh, so if you don't have a Bible of your own and you want to take one of those, that's fine. It's for you. Uh, this is what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet or restful waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today we're going to <clears throat> we're going to work through verse 6 there a little bit. Uh, when I was about 8 years old, my parents sent me to my first sleepaway camp. As I've now come to know that it's called sleepaway camp because you go and you sleep there. And, uh, and I went to this campus called New Life Island. Maybe you've heard of this. It's down in the middle of the Delaware River. There's this island out there. And, and I went, and, and my first couple of days were great. Uh, I loved the activity. I loved hanging out. I was, like, eating candy, going to the snack store, like, buying all this stuff. It was fantastic. And about the third day, uh, I started to get panicky. I was like, wait, where am I? Where is my mom? Like, what has she done to me? Like, what has happened? How did I get to this place? Like, I really don't trust that this teenage counselor has any idea how to care for me. Uh, I don't feel, like, loved or known or significant or, like, I'm sick. Like, it just, you know, I got messed up. I was homesick, right? Like, maybe you've experienced this, this before. I was totally homesick and, like, you know, the leather crafts that we were punching, like, wasn't enough to make me feel good about life, right? Like, it was a scary place to be as an eight-year-old boy, and I was like, I want to call my mom, but, you know, they wouldn't let me do that, and eventually I was fine, and I went to more sleepaway camps. But anyway, you get it. I was homesick, and I don't know if you've experienced this before, been away from home long enough you've experienced that, but I, I think inside of all of us is, is this longing for home, this longing for for something like home, where these good feelings of home, where, where we're safe, where, we are, where we're known, where we're significant, uh, and, and where we're loved. And I believe, honestly, I, I really think that this goes all the way back to our earliest human ancestors, all the way back to, back to the garden when God created everything and, and he put us in this place of what I would call the shalom of God. When things were as they should be, where we knew we were loved by God, where we had love for one another, we had love of self, we knew who we were, Uh, we felt valued by God, we valued others, we valued the earth that we were in, God had given humanity a vocation of tending the earth, of filling the earth, and ultimately of representing Him out into the world, of bearing His glory out into the world, and it was fantastic. But as I've talked about before, because of humanity's idolatry, because of sin that creeps in and our choices we make as humans, they put other things on the throne. They put other things at the top of the ladder rather than God. They put themselves there. They put created things there rather than the creator himself. And, and, and they were no longer pursuing God, but were pursuing their own glory. And rather than living with, within the good creation, using it to glorify God, they were using the things of earth to glorify themselves, and ultimately it leads to 
to death. It breaks the shalom of God, this peace and rule of God on earth. So I believe that, that now with inside of, of all of us, we're trying to get back to that original feeling, <clears throat> back to this, this shalom of God, that feeling of beauty and goodness and security of being known, that feeling of having worth and value and, and taking part in something that's bigger than us, of glorifying God. I would say that we're homesick for our original good home our original good shalom-filled creation that God wanted for us and wanted for himself. And we're longing for this home, and we never really find it, despite all of our efforts. Uh, there's this book, and uh, maybe you've heard of it before. It's called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This is not mere Christianity. Mere Christianity is actually smaller than this. It's, in, it's part of this collection of works, okay? So I'm encouraging you to read Mere Christianity and know that it's not this big, okay? Uh, it's part of this book. But I want to read this, this section here where Lewis is talking about <clears throat> kind of living for heaven, looking for something beyond ourselves. He says, most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all except in so far as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when the real want for heaven is present in us, we don't recognize it. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which, they're longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really actually satisfy. He says, I'm not speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or vacations or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think that everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. And he says there, there, there's two, two wrong ways to, to go about pursuing this. And he says some people will continue to try to make heaven on earth. They'll continue to go after all of these things, and they'll get the best job, and they'll, they'll try to find the best spouse, and they'll go on the best vacations and all these things, and, and it makes them users of people and abusers of people and abusers of themselves, and it ends up empty and still being discontent, still constantly chasing the real thing that might still be out there. Or, he says, there's the way of the, dis the disillusioned man who says, yeah, it's not findable, we can't get it, and just goes about life apathetic. Not so much a user and abuser of people, so easier to get along with in society, but kind of just shrugs the whole idea of a better life off and says, whatever, we just got to get by. And Lewis says, what happens if he's wrong? What happens if there really is something out there that we could be living for that is beyond us? And he says, so the way that we should pursue this is, he calls it very simply, the Christian way. He says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists, unless those desires can be fulfilled. He says, a baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find my, in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, 
The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to awaken it, to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. What he's arguing for there and what he's saying is that we have these desires inside of us for something deeper, something more real, because something real and more dramatic exists out there for us. Something more powerful exists for us to be a part of. Our longing proves its existence, he says, that it can be fulfilled. And what I'm arguing today is, is, is that home, this idea of home, this longing for something beyond ourselves is found in God. It's found in the presence of God, that we are actually made for more than this, that, that the good shepherd pursues us, guides us home into the household of God, what, what Lewis calls heaven there, into the family of God. And when we find that, when we find our presence there, we find his presence in our lives, we find security. We find significance. We find this, this acceptance, these loving relationships, and I would say the shalom of God that was lost, this thing we've been looking for and working for and striving for all along. Friends, the world is not our permanent home. Scripture says in several ways that we are sojourners, we are aliens, we are travelers through this road, and that, and that home is still out there. And what I'd like to argue today is that home is found in the presence of God now in our lives and fully in the new heaven and earth someday, in the world that God recreates when it comes to its fullness in Jesus' return. So what I would say is that David seems to be arguing this in Psalm 23. It seems to be where he's landing in this last verse of verse 6. Let me think, think about this narrative with me of this poem again. David begins by admitting that he is a sheep and that he needs a shepherd. That God is the good shepherd who walks with him, who guides him, who cares for him, who leads him into to green grass and still water, who provides all that he needs, and he wants to follow the shepherd. But it's not without struggle or toil or pain. He says we have to go through these dark valleys. Remember we talked about how these valleys are actually valleys that lead up into higher elevations. So there's this change of season that happens as the sheep are walked higher up into, into the, uh, the valleys, up into these tablelands where God wants to provide for them. He says that the shepherd comforts him with his rod, his staff, with his, with his spirit and with his word as he comforts and walks them up through these valleys. And when they get up on the mountain after coming through the valleys, they find these tablelands. They find that the table has been prepared for them and there's better pasture there during the, the summer months. Even in the presence of his enemies, David says the good shepherd prepares a table for him and provides for him in the midst of the hardness of life, and he is sustained. But when we get to this verse 6, this last verse of the psalm, if you've been following the narrative, you see they've gone up the valleys into the tablelands, and now they're coming back down. Geographically, they're moving back down towards the home ranch. The summer and, and warm months are starting to turn into fall and winter on the top of the mountain, so they're heading back down into the lower elevations. The sheep must now return home. In Psalm 23, 6, David says that, that now that he's been with the shepherd for some time through the lowlands, up into the highlands, and now back down, he says he sees that goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life. That goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life. And I, and I want to 
break down kind of verse 6 and, and what's happening there. And here's why I do this, okay? I break this down sometimes, and I go into the Hebrew, word, the Hebrew words here because they carry a lot of weighty connotations to them that we don't sometimes read in the English. Like if I said the word to you, circus, something is a circus, you would think, okay, it's a place, it's an event, we went to the circus. If I said to you the lacrosse tournament I was at yesterday was a bit of a circus, you would know I was giving a different connotation, right? It's no longer just a place and an event. It's, it's an atmosphere, right? So words have these connotations to them, and Hebrew is just loaded with these things. That's why I try to do this sometimes, not to like, be like, oh, look at me, fancy, I understand Hebrew. I really don't. I have to look into a, a, you know, a dictionary to figure out what these mean, okay? I'm not some... All right, anyway, like, I do this because there's these different words there. When David says that goodness will follow him all the days of his life, the word that he's using there is a Hebrew word called tov, all right, if you want to picture it, T-O-V, it's this word tov, and, and it's this, it means pleasant, it means good, it means working in proper order. It's this tiny word, but it's explosive with meaning and power. Tav is, is the word that God used in the Garden of Eden when he created on day one and day two and day three and said, it's good. He was saying, it's tav. It's good. And then on the, the last day of creation, he creates humanity and the rest of, of creation, and he says, it's very tav. Like, it is very, very good and working the way that it should. When David says that goodness will follow him all the days of his life, he's saying that tav is following him. He's using that word there. He says good things, pleasant things, things that work the way that they should are following him. My friends, what what he's saying there is shalom is near me. Things are what they should be. Things are good, and it's, it's following me back down the valley, leading me home. He has seen that the shepherd provides for him and cares for him and, and is near him. And he's seen evidence of the shepherd's tovness, his pleasantness, his ability to give him what he needs. And in some ways, we're right back to the start of the psalm. We're right back to the very beginning where he says, this shepherd is good to me. I want to be with this shepherd. He finds his contentment in the tovness that the shepherd provides. But, but it's not just this goodness that David's talking about. It's not just the tov or the shalom of God that he mentions that's following him. He says, goodness and love. Or your translation might say, goodness and mercy. Or if you look at other translations, it says, goodness and loving kindness. Well, which is it? Is it goodness? Is it mercy? Is it loving kindness? Again, the word there is, it means all of them. It means all of them. And I told Brian I was going to talk about this. I was picturing like a bag of M&Ms, which conveniently enough he brought. This, this service is sponsored by M&Ms. So anyway, he, if, if, you, if you reach into a bag of M&Ms and you pull out a handful without looking at it and somebody said, what color did you get? Red? Green? blue, you open your hand, you would say, all of them. Yes. Like, that's what I got. Like, this is what's happening in this Hebrew word here that's translated mercy, loving kindness, uh, you know, love. This word that has all these connotations to it in Hebrew is, it's chesed, which I'm not going to do that again. It's, if you want to spell it, H-E or C-H-E-S-E-D. It's the chesed love of God. It carries with it this this depth and and commitment of love. 
Love that, that, that sticks around. Love that doesn't give up. Love that is unrelenting. Love that sacrifices on behalf of the beloved. Love that is faithful. This is the covenant love of the good shepherd. He's saying the tav of God, the pleasantness of God, and the commitment love of God, the committed love of God are following him. David is again trying to reiterate what he's been saying all along, that the shepherd is right there with him, with a commitment that is unmatched by anything else in this world. The shepherd is covenanted to him and is for him and will stick with him, leading him all the way home, back down the valley. Friends, what what David is talking about here is something that is beyond the human capacity to do. It's a type of love that, that we just don't do or exhibit, but in fits and spurts in our lives. I, I have friends who uh, adopted a little girl several years ago, and, and they love her so much, and, and they are so committed to her, and they have biological children, and they adopted this little girl, and they've given her the full rights of children of their family. They are pouring into her life consistently, wanting to see her life filled with goodness, filled with tavness, right? They're exhibiting this said love towards her. They are committed to her. They have covenanted to her to care for her as long as they live. And in their best moments, they offer her the bits of this, this tavness, this goodness, this pleasantness of shalom. But they're not perfect, right? They lose their temper, Maybe they're impatient with her. Maybe they raise her, their voice at her. Maybe they, they have frightened her with their anger at some point. If you're parents, you understand that feeling. Or, I love my wife deeply. I am committed to her. Like, I wear a ring. We made a vow before men and before God that we are together, and I'm committed to her. It's a, 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 a said love that's not giving up. I'm not going anywhere. I'm committed to her as long as I live. But I also mess it up regularly, right? I shatter the shalom in our home by my impatience, by raising my voice, by being angry, by saying things I shouldn't, by losing my cool, by being dumb about things. You know, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe, maybe you've been in a relationship that, that had all you could ever want. The stuff, the romance, you had the, the look, everything was good the accolades, the reputation, until you found out that, that he or she was cheating on you or he was looking at porn or she was mentally having an affair or escaping to another relationship. It had something like shalom. It had these good things, right? It had these good things that felt good and were great, but it lacked said. It was a broken covenant. What David is conveying here is that the good shepherd is following him with this tavness, with this shalom, with this, this pleasantness, with good things towards him. And he is always committed to him. He is always for him. He is in a covenant with his sheep as a good shepherd and will not give up on them. He has demonstrated it over and over and over again in David's life that he will care for him up and down the mountain, leading them to green grass and still water, protecting him from enemies, and is now guiding him home. 
And the word he says there for following me, when he says these will follow me all the days of my life, is, is the same word that Scripture uses over and over again for the word chase. It's the same word that Scripture uses to say that Saul was following David when Saul was pursuing David and chasing him. He says, the shepherd is chasing me. It's not just lazily walking behind him, following. It's not just he happens to be walking behind me, just kind of there. It's the word for pursue or chases. David is saying that the good shepherd is chasing him down with goodness, with committed love that never relents, that never gives up, that never fails, that never stops. We may wander. We may stumble. We may need help, but he's always right there. Francis Rivers wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven that describes this God that is constantly pursuing with heavy footsteps behind us, tracking us down, pursuing us with all of his might, chasing us, chasing David like a good shepherd. And where does the shepherd chase us? Where is he pursuing us? Home. He's chasing us home where he says, I will dwell forever in the house of God. There's this idea here that I will return to the house of God. The pleasantness of God, the covenant love of God will pursue me right back into the house of God. Like your, your homesick feelings when you've been away for too long, when you've been traveling, or, or when you were young and at a camp and missed home. It, the desire to return to the house of God, is, it's there, it's strong for him to remain there. And this is more, though, than just a house. This is more than, like, the temple didn't exist yet. He's not saying he chased me back to the temple of God. Like, there's a bigger idea here than just a household or a home. He's talking about the household of God, the family of God that he's being chased back into. David is saying that he is chasing me like a good shepherd with pleasantness and committed love all the way back into the household of God, the family of God. And in the household of God, he finds that he is a son of God. He is a child of God. He is known by God. He is secure there. He is safe. He is loved. He is significant. He has purpose there. More than just a house, he finds a home. More than just a household, he finds a family and he finds an identity being a child of God in the household of God. And the commitment and the goodness of the good shepherd has chased him all the way there, up and down the mountains, through the valleys, all the way home. I don't know what going home for Thanksgiving looks like you at this point. Maybe it's still a good thing for you. You still get along with your family. Like It's that feeling of going home to a full table, to a place of love and commitment, or it's that feeling you have when you've been traveling for a while, or when you just can't wait to get home to your own bed and, and crash there, that relief, that inner peace, that joy, that rest. That's what he's talking about here, finding in God. What a blessing it is to be chased home into the family of God by the Good Shepherd. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing, friends. We've spent years as humanity consistently pursuing this elsewhere. We look for this home other places, doing our own home-building exercises, trying to find the shalom of God and commitment other places, but God knows what's best for us. He has 
pursued us when we were wandering. Jesus leaves the home of God, leaves the the fullness of God's glory sitting on the throne to come to earth to do a homeless, a, a ministry of homelessness so that we can be returned to God, so that we can find our home in God. He left his father so that we could be brought into the home of the good father. He left his home to show what it looked like to have the father dwell in our lives. In John, Jesus says in a couple different places, I am the good shepherd. I'm the way and the truth and the life. I am the way into this family, into this household of God. Go through me to find it. And in John 14, Jesus says something that's incredibly interesting to me. He says that when, when someone comes to know Jesus, when someone comes to love him and believe in who he is and what he says, he says the Father comes and makes his home in him or her. Think about that. He says that when we believe who Jesus is, that God comes as a Father to dwell in our hearts, in our midst, Paul says in Ephesians 3 that by the Spirit, Christ comes and dwells in us. This is why I said this is not just a home out there someday. This is a home here now in who God is because he wants to dwell inside of us. Friends, what this means to me is that if we believe that God wants to come and dwell inside of us, if his home is made inside of us and our home is in him now and forever, There are really practical implications of this. It means that my home, my stuff, everything I have, it's really not that big a deal. It's not my permanent place or home or stuff. I can use it to bless people. I can enjoy it. I can share it. I can give it away because God's in me and he's in, he's, his home is inside of me and my home is in him and someday I get to enjoy a new heaven and earth with him. This stuff is temporary and I get to use it for his glory. It means that It means that if God is in me and I get to be in God's house and in his family as an adopted son or daughter forever, it means that I can not get that promotion at work, and it's okay, because God has made his home in me and will sustain me up and down the valleys and lead me home into his presence fully someday when Jesus makes a new heaven and earth. It means... I don't have to strive so hard to make shalom on earth. God has already offered it to me in Jesus, and it dwells inside of me. It means I can rest. Wouldn't that be nice to take a break and say, God's God, he dwells inside of me, and someday I look forward to the eternal rest where there's no more striving, no more struggle, no more sin, no more death. This is what it means to have God come and abide in us and for us to abide in him, to find our home in his family. And Revelation 21 holds to me one of the greatest promises where we find so much of our hope that we are saved now and we are being saved for eternity, that Jesus will come and remake this earth. And and I believe firmly that he will take the good things we've done, the things we've been working on in his kingdom, and he will translate them into this new heaven and new earth. And we get to live in the fullness of that. We don't just escape and fly off to heaven and all this just burns up and goes away and it's not... What we do now matters, and we get to live with his home dwelling in us now and looking forward to this home, and it's all connected through the goodness of the shepherd who leads us home. 
Friends, this is what Psalm 23 has been driving at the whole time. This is the gospel of Psalm 23, that the shepherd is for us, that he guides us, that he loves us, that he comforts us, that he is committed to us with said love, and that shalom is only found in him. That home, that thing that we are so homesick for, is only found in him. Do you believe that? Can I leave that with you to wrestle with in the coming weeks? Do I really believe that I can be adopted as a son or daughter into the household of God? That I can find home there? That everything I'm striving for in life is actually found in God? Would you believe that Jesus is the proof of that for you, that he is the good shepherd for you and for me. Would you pray with me? I want you to just think about something with me. Jesus is the proof of God's has said love for us. And Jesus leaves the throne of heaven, comes to earth as a baby born in a borrowed barn, in a borrowed manger, does years of ministry without a home, sleeping in borrowed beds, and ultimately is, is crucified and laid in a borrowed tomb. Also that we could know the goodness of the Father and to find our home in Him. What a beautiful exchange on our behalf. This is the love of God for us, but Jesus didn't stay in the borrowed tomb. We remember this morning that that as the disciples found the tomb empty, we find the tomb empty today as well. And that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and now sits him at the right hand of the Father with God in his home forever, that same spirit raises us from the dead and gives us new life and makes our home with the Father as well and his home with us. That makes all the difference, friends, in how we live our lives. My prayer is that we would go from here living that way, knowing that God is our home and that he makes his home with us all through the Spirit. I pray that of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great day.